Brother Don told me make myself at home, and I appreciate that, and I feel at home here. Uh, there is a, a freedom and a liberty when you're among God's people. And I also realize that telling a visiting preacher that is not something light. It's, it's, it's dangerous to tell somebody to make their self at home when they're preaching. And so, even though you all know me, and even though we, we all believe the same thing, I still take that very seriously. I really do. Because the gospel is something so important. The gospel is the way people find truth about God, and it's the way that they find out how to have peace with Him and how to be saved. And so I consider it a, a, a very weighty thing to be told to make myself at home as I'm approaching a pulpit to preach. And um, I just want you to know that. I don't know why, but I, I just felt the need to say it. Um, it is a privilege to be here, and I'm thankful. Thankful for the week we've had, and um, I got to go out to the Do-Re-Mi Music School a, a couple of nights and, and yesterday, and what a blessing to see a hundred and something, mostly children, uh, so interested in serving the Lord and in knowing Him and in finding truth. And I got to try to preach to them short devotional messages twice, and it's the best I've enjoyed trying to preach lately because they're so... Um, open. They just, we were talking about that on the way over here. And, you know, with adults, you tell them the truth. And if they're not, if they're not used to the truth and you start telling somebody the truth, you realize they have layer after layer after layer that they have to work through. And then they finally have to admit to themselves, not only is this a good idea, but if it is, I've been wrong my whole life. That's hard. And a child doesn't have to do that because they're open. They haven't yet built up all these walls and layers. And that's part of what's on my heart tonight. I hope those comments will make sense. If you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, we're going to talk about entering into the rest of God. Hebrews chapter 3, and I'll begin in verse 12. Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's what I was just talking about. People get ideas and they're hardened and they get these layers and they get these walls. Scripture calls it the deceitfulness of sin. And the real danger is that a lot of good people get caught up in this deceitfulness and think that they're actually doing the right thing and all it is is a layer God has to work through to finally get in there where their heart can hear the truth. And so that's the challenge that we face in the world as we try to take the gospel to them. For we're made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation... For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt came out by Moses. But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed or trusted not in him? 
So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. That's the verse I want us to focus on tonight. We're told, and this, I don't know, it might seem like a strange message to you all, but it's what's on my heart. We're told in Scripture that we can be just like those faithless Israelites were if we're not careful. In fact, it says we should fear. We should be very aware and very cautious lest a promise has been left to us of entering into rest and we actually don't. You know how many restless Christians there are in the world? And I believe some of them are saved people who have no peace. Their lives are constant turmoil. They have no happiness, they have no satisfaction because they've never understood and entered into the rest of God. And when you first find the Lord, there's such clarity and there's such peace and there's such hope and such optimism. And I've enjoyed, Brother Aaron, I've enjoyed so much talking to you this week and today in particular. He's only been saved less than a year. And there's, there's a sincerity and an interest. And after service, we were all in a hurry to go eat lunch. And he was sitting there with his Bible open and said, I'm confused about this scripture that was preached. And we talked about it. And I thought, how often do we, who are so many years down the road in the gospel, do, do we do that? And I don't mean that with any criticism. But it just made, it reminded me how... There's a hunger there in the beginning. And brothers and sisters, we can lose that. And that is what this passage is talking about. We need to be afraid of missing the rest of God. He doesn't just save us so we can go to heaven someday. He saves us so He can be an ever-present help in time of trouble. So He can guide and lead and direct our lives. He saves us so He can be with us and He can help us. Just like He told Joshua, as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. Nobody will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. God wants that for His children today. He doesn't intend us to just get saved and then go through our lives aimlessly. He wants us to be hungry for Him and to enter into His rest. I want to continue this this passage. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. This letter is being written to people who know about the truth of God. And it's comparing them to the Israelites who came out of Egypt by Moses and for 40 years wandered around wasting their lives until God finally let them all die. That sounds very harsh, this parallel I'm going to make. But when I go and preach at different churches, I see this very same thing. People wandering around in the wilderness. Until they can finally die. I don't, I don't feel like that here. Y'all love the Lord and I love you and I feel the love. But I'm telling you, there are so many people who just they just don't get, they don't understand what God has planned for their life. And so you know what they do? They do just what the Israelites did. They roam around in the wilderness and they say, Why did you bring us out here to starve? At least when we were in slavery in Egypt, we could sit around fires and eat lots of food. See, the enemy puts thoughts like that in our minds when things are hard. And when they told Moses that, and they even said we had, uh, what did they say, cucumbers and leeks? I mean, (laughs) the things that you miss, they miss their cucumbers and onions. 
They want to go back to slavery for that. That's not logical. It doesn't make sense. Because the enemy in times that are uncomfortable puts lies in your mind. He makes you think things were better back then when you weren't serving the Lord. But they're not. They forgot that they were in slavery under hard labor. They forgot that they were several hundred years in slavery. And they cried out by reason of their affliction. And God raised up a man to deliver them. And when they were finally delivered and they were in their wilderness, they completely forgot what God delivered them from. Brothers and sisters, some of us forget what God saved us from. And we need to be reminded. And He's put it in my heart tonight to stir us up and be reminded, as the Apostle said. By putting us in remembrance. Do you remember what God did for you when He saved you? Do you remember what He saved you from? I've had people tell me, I, I, don't, I don't want to be saved. I, I won't get to have fun anymore. Oh, they don't understand what fun is. I've told them. Imagine being high with no hangover. The best I've ever felt in my life is trying to preach the gospel in a spiritual service with God's people. And we, we, we miss it. The world wants that. They don't even realize it. Unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached unto them did not profit them, not being combined or united with faith in them that heard it. In other words, these Israelites, they come out, they're delivered by Moses, God has plans for their life, He wants to take them into the promised land. All they can think about is how they miss their Egyptian food. They waste their lives, they die. Their perspective is so alien to the things of God that they go into this land and all they can see is fear. They come back and except for Joshua and Caleb... All the other people that were part of that contingent come back and say, there's giants over there. It's scary. We don't want to go. Joshua and Caleb come back and say, the fruit is really big there. Let's go. See, they had no, as a generation, they didn't understand. They had no faith in the promise of God. They didn't come out. Even though they followed Moses out, their hearts weren't with him. You know what the difference in Moses and those people was? Moses prayed to the Lord. And this is what I want for God's people today. We, we talk about the good old days and what's going to fill churches back up. I've got the answer for you. This is what Moses prayed. Lord, if your spirit goes not up with us, carry us not up from here. He says, how else will the people of the world know that we are your people unless your spirit is with us? You know what the spirit of the living God is? He manifests himself in love to the world. Sometimes it feels like judgment. Sometimes it feels like other things. But it's love. It's not just tradition. It's not just the songs we sing or the traditions we have. It's the love of the Holy Spirit that bubbles up and overwhelms. And you meet these people. Maybe they're in religion or maybe they're not. But they know that there is something different about you. And you know that that difference about you is not yourself, but something inside of you. Amen. That's what we need. That the Spirit of God would go with us. And so that's the difference in Moses and these people. Let me continue here, verse 3. For we which have believed or trusted in the Lord do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world... For he spoke in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. 
And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Now the word that from Greek, it means faithlessness. It's not just an intellectual that you didn't believe in God, it means you don't trust Him. You don't trust Him to do what He said. And these people came out, first they're whining, complaining, crying out to God, raise up somebody to deliver us. He does it, He brings them out by miraculous signs and wonders. Do you realize one of the greatest miracles that ever happened, happened at the Red Sea? They're, they're there. That's a big body of water. God parts the water somehow, dries up the land somehow. They'd walk through, they don't get mired down. They should have sunk up to their waist and been stuck and drowned. But God's miracle dried it up. They walk across. They're safe. And then when the Egyptian army follows them in there, God swallows them up and destroys them. They saw that. And brothers and sisters, we have seen things like that in our lives. I'm talking about the miracles of God, the provision of His Holy Spirit, and yet we get into the wilderness and we say, I just want my cucumbers and onions. Take me back. Again, he limiteth a certain day, specifies a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time as it is written, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. That is what we all need to be reminded of. Oh, especially if there's people who don't know the Lord. Don't harden your heart. And I don't know if here, if there's anybody who hasn't been saved yet. I I turn this recorder on and there might be some people listening later that haven't been saved. And if that's the case, when God deals with you, when He pulls at your heart, when you start to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I I heard one person describe it this way lately. He said, that was the most uncomfortable or unwelcome. That was the most unwelcome I felt. (laughs) You will not feel welcome in the presence of God if you don't know Him. And the only way you can feel welcome in His presence is to yield to give up, to surrender, to repent. Those are the words we use, but you know what it means. It means just throwing yourself on the mercy of God and trusting Him to take care of you. That's what He's put on my heart tonight, that we can be safe with Him. One of my friends wrote a song, and in, in the lyrics, it's, it's not really a religious song, but the lyrics say... Um, You're safe with me. In my hands is a place you're safe to be. A lot of y'all knew my Uncle Russell passed away a little over a year ago. And one of the last things he said was that he was safe in God's hand. That's what he's put in my heart to remind us of tonight. That he has a safety, that there is a safety in him. But you know what? It takes faith. It takes faith to, to rest in God. It takes faith to enter into that rest. And the problem is most people don't even know what faith is. People who are used to religion in this world think that faith means convincing yourself you believe something you don't really believe. 
If you've tasted and seen of the mercies of God, if you've had a supernatural experience, a knowledge of salvation, if you've experienced that presence of Him, you know. But people who are trying to go through life and trying to convince themselves they're okay, they think that's faith. And even after we've experienced God and we've been saved by His grace, sometimes there's a tendency to take back the reins of our lives. That's why David said, Lord, you have possessed me in my reins. He was talking about his his kidneys. But it was metaphorical about that seat of your uh, deep, passionate desires, the, the place that you trust. And it's no accident that we use the same word in English for reins that control a horse. In other words, he's telling God, you take over the control of my life. And it's as if God tells him, okay, you're safe with me. You'll be safe in my hands. And brothers and sisters, this is what it takes to enter into the rest of God is for us to let go of our own illusory control of life. We think we're in control. We think we have influence over things. We think that we can make a difference in something. But the truth is we have control over nothing. What it takes to enter into the rest of God is to let go to every illusion of control that you have. It says, if Jesus had given them rest, 8th verse, then would he have not have afterwards spoken of another day? There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. There's a future rest an eternal rest that God has promised to those who trust in Him and are saved. That's a rest that we're waiting on. That's what the New Testament calls the uh, completion of this promise of God, the perfection that He's going to give us. We've received the earnest of the inheritance. In the meantime, we've been given the deposit, the down payment of the Holy Spirit. One day we're going to experience in fullness what God has destined for us. But in the meantime, there remains a rest that we can choose to enter into or not. It's your choice. You can be in control. You can... I told somebody this recently. You can do damage control before the damage ever happened. That's an intellectual cartwheel that you do. You overanalyze everything. Think about every possible outcome. You'll ever have conversations with people in your head before you actually talk to them? Ever do that? Some people will call that crazy, but I do it sometimes. That's like damage control. You're you're preparing for all these unexpected out. You know what rest in God is? (laughs) Whatever happens, Lord. I'm safe with you. You have your way. I don't need to know the outcome. I don't need to know the future. That is the definition of faith. Abraham believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. You know what the Lord told him? He didn't tell him something complicated. He said, basically, go down there. (laughs) Abraham started going. And I don't know about your opinion. I, I I don't think that he was saved when God first told him to go down there. I think he got saved later. Maybe it doesn't matter. But the point is, whether he was saved then or a little bit later, he trusted God. And whether you're saved yet or you're going to be sometime later, you have to trust God if you want to have peace. If you don't know the Lord yet and He puts on your heart, go down there and pray, you have to. 
If He puts on your heart, bow right here. If He breaks you in your bed and you need to pray there, do it. There remains a rest for the people of God. Now this part is what we really need to hear, those of us who are already saved, and if you're not yet. He that is entered into God's rest has ceased from his own works as God did from his. See, the Lord all the way back in creation gave us an example that even God himself who has unlimited power, he created everything six days, he rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired, he can't get tired. Do you understand? That's what omnipotence is. He rested as an example to us that there would be times in our lives when we would, be, we would do all we could do. Having done, therefore, all, stand. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's what the Lord told Moses. He did and he watched the deliverance of God. And that is what salvation is, is deliverance and then safety in God. There's a rest. But the only way you can enter into that rest is when you cease from your own labors. That's the hardest thing. It's hard because we want to do good things. We want to feel good. We want to help people. We want to do all these things that really make us feel better, make us feel like we're making a difference. But what God wants us to do is be hungry for Him. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. More and more, and I'm, I'm still not that old yet, but... More and more, my desire becomes to know God, just to know Him. And I care less and less about what I accomplish for Him. I mean it. And the less I care about how busy I am for Him, the more peace I have. And the more I actually get done for Him. (laughs) It's all Him anyway, you see. It's grace. It's the love and mercy of God. We have to cease from our own labors to enter into his rest. Now, this 11th verse seems to be a contradiction. and We're going to talk about it. The 10th verse, he says, the one who enters into his rest ceases from his own labors. And then in the 11th verse, he says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief or faithlessness. What is that talking about? On one hand, he says, rest and stop laboring. And then here he says, labor to enter in. Let me tell you, this is not talking about a works righteousness salvation. And it's not even talking about a saved person producing their own sanctification. There are so many good religious people that I I talk to and I realize they actually believe without realizing it that they can produce their own internal sanctification. Do you know what sanctification, true sanctification is when the Holy Spirit of God sets you apart to do His work? It is His activity. He's the one who sanctifies. He's the one who cleanses. He's the one who washes you with the renewing of His Word, the renewing of your mind. He does it. You know what happens if you try to sanctify yourselves? I've done this. You end up just like the Pharisees. The outside clean, the inside is... is Oh, it's horrible. We're talking about spiritual things, and spiritual things can only be brought about by the Spirit of God. And there is a disconnect, 
And there may not be in your life or your life or your life. There might not be in this church. But, but there is among a lot of religious people, there's a disconnect that they understand, okay, to be saved, I have to give everything over to God. But they never do that. That's the only time in their whole life they surrender to Him. And all the rest of their life is a battle. It's this internal struggle for power. It might not look like that. You know what it might look like? You doing what you want to do. To enter into the rest of God, you have to be willing to let go of everything you want. And it might not be something big, it might be something small. You might actually end up getting to do what you wanted to do in an even better way. But you have to be willing. How do you become willing? I don't know. God has to help you. had a conversation with another person recently that was very, very bitter and broken. and I listened and listened and listened. And then finally I tried to tell him some things from Scripture that would help. And he said, I know you're right, but I don't know how to do it. So that's the point. You can't do it. You can't do it. If you're lost, you can't do it. You can't just save yourself. You can't just... Make yourself get to the point where you can be saved. And that is the intellectual conflict that people have when they're trying to seek the Lord is you feel like you need to do it, but you can't. That's where the surrender comes in. It's the same once you're saved. If you want to enter into the rest of God, you realize I've done and done and done and I can't do it anymore. And that's when the best times with God come. It's not that you stop doing anything. It's that you stop relying on your own strength, your own discernment, your own mind altogether. And then when God moves quietly with that still small voice inside of here, like he told uh, Abraham, you go down there, he just went. God can lead us so peacefully and so quietly in our lives. To where maybe you're just going down the road and you just did feel like you need to stop at this grocery store. You go in and you just kind of feel like you need to talk to this person right here. And then you do and then you realize that God was in it. But it's not so noisy like the world thinks. He doesn't hit you in the head and say, hey, I need you to go to the Publix and talk to somebody named John. That's very, very rare. <laughs> Why? Because you have to have faith. Faith is trust in the Lord. I want to try to explain a little bit more of this in, in another way. I won't take the time to read it. You can read it later in the book of Exodus, 34th chapter. But the big difference in Moses and the rest of the Israelites is he wanted the presence of God and they wanted the benefits of God. Moses came down from the mountain after he got the commandments. His face was glowing and he wasn't even aware. There's a point there that, that we need to get that oftentimes, again, people who mean well, myself sometimes, maybe some of you sometimes, we have this desire to be, to have the glowing presence of God so that people can see it and so that it will help them. When you're truly in the presence of God, there's so much self-forgetfulness, you're not even aware whether you're in 
You don't think about it. You're not thinking about yourself anymore. It's like when God makes you humble, you're not thinking about, am I being humble in this moment? You're not thinking about yourself at all. See? Humility is not disliking yourself. It's forgetting yourself altogether and thinking about what's in front of you. And it's the same thing with the love of God. It's not, Lord, I want you to make me this holy thing so that I can be used by you. It's forgetting yourself altogether everything about you and just looking at Jesus. And that's Moses on the mountain is in the presence of God for 40 days. He comes down glowing and he didn't even know until the people started running away in fear. So he has to put a veil over his head. You know what's so beautiful about it? He goes back in the presence of God. He takes the veil off. So Moses says, don't be afraid. The Lord has come to to prove you. In other words, he's come to show you himself and see if you'll trust him. Don't be afraid. And you know what they told him? You go up there and talk to God. We'll do what he says, but don't let him talk with us directly. That was the big difference. That's why they did not enter into the rest of God. It's not only because they grumbled and complained. They grumbled and complained because they didn't want to be in God's presence because they had darkness in their hearts and they were afraid to be in His presence. It scared them to let go of control of their lives and they would rather be in slavery because that was safe and predictable than be in the wilderness being fed with food from heaven. Because they didn't know where they were going. They didn't know how long it was going to take to get there. They didn't know what would happen on the way. And Moses, on the other hand, said, I don't care. I just want to be in your presence, God. That's the difference. For us to enter into God's rest, we must have a desire. I won't even call it an attitude. I'll call it a desire of the heart, like Moses. Lord, I just want you. I just want your presence. I just want to be with you. So I I wonder, and I want to pose this question as I close. Do you desire the rest and peace of God more than you desire the safety of your own control of your life? You can't have both. You want God to take the wheel, you don't get to drive anymore. And I'm not asking you to answer that to me, but I hope you'll think about it. This is a question I think about almost daily. And my answer changes situation by situation, if I'm honest. Sometimes I yield completely to God and want Him to have complete control. And then sometimes I'm not e- He's not even in the back seat or the trunk. He's not even in the car, in my mind. I'm just driving where I want to. Until I realize where I'm going is not a good place, and I'm running off the road, and I say, Lord, come back over here. Be with me. Help me. I don't want control. And that's what my life keeps bringing me back to over and over and over. The only time I'm really, truly happy is when I have no control over my life. I want you to know that. It feels really uncomfortable, though, to live that way. It feels like being naked, actually. And I, I thought of this, I, I, hope, I hope nobody will take offense to this or think it's inappropriate, but you know, just like we wouldn't walk around out there with no clothes on, and yet that's what it takes to have peace with God, is to walk around with no 
self-preservational emotional clothing. You know, what? all these things, we put on these shirts and ties and jackets to protect ourselves, to be predictable. And God says, just take it all off, forget about it, and I will protect you. I'm talking, this is a metaphor, I'm talking about emotionally and spiritually. You put on the armor of God, that's a spiritual armor. You don't have to worry about anything else. He protects us. So I'll close by saying, if, if you know the Lord, if you've already tasted his presence, if you've already surrendered and been saved, labor to enter into that rest. The laboring to enter into the rest is, you know what it is? It's getting yourself to surrender again. It's not doing good things. It's realizing that what you really want is to God to have control. That's the laboring to enter into the rest. And if you're not saved yet, when God deals with your heart, seek him. Jesus said, strive to enter in at the straight gate. That word strive means earnestly contend, like you're going to battle. You have to fight all these distractions in your mind and all these things, all these things maybe you've been taught. You have to let go of all of it and go straight to God and let Him have His way. It's what it takes to be saved. And we can use religious words and call it repentance. That's what it is. But sometimes people don't know what repentance means. Repentance means going to that thing, God, that is drawing you and giving yourself to Him. And knowing in your mind and in your heart that He has the right to do whatever He wants with you. That's what repentance really is. It's, it, it is being sorry for sin and it is turning away from those things. But all of that is rolled up in recognizing that God deserves to be God and you want Him to be. That's what it takes. So that's, that's this attempted message the Lord's put on my heart tonight. I pray that it's... a that it'll just be used by him. That's all I care about. Thank you for listening. And Brother Curtis, I'll turn the service back to you.